the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus began to say to all in the synagogue in Nazareth, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do here also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, except Naaman, the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. We heard the first half of this story last week, if you were here or listened to the service or sermon. It's actually the very first story from Jesus' ministry that Luke decides to include in his gospel. He pushes it to the front to highlight it and to set it as a sort of type of what Jesus' ministry on the whole looked like. And so Jesus enters the synagogue at Nazareth, his hometown. He reads from the prophet Isaiah. He says at the very beginning of his message, as we heard today, the overlap... Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And as we heard, the people are amazed at his gracious words. They're impressed. And then things turn south. And that's the bit that I want to really lift up and why I wanted to note the first half of the story, if you didn't hear it or remember, that things are going so well. And then we have this dramatic turn in the story, a turn that is so dramatic that many scholars have concluded that Luke must have taken two separate incidents and edited them together to make one, a not uncommon practice. That must be what Luke had done because the response is so dramatically different. I wonder, however, whether those biblical scholars who had to jump to that conclusion are also preachers because I have no difficulty imagining how a congregation could turn on a preacher so quickly. 
Last week I preached on the first half of this text. Jesus quoting the prophet Isaiah. Today I have come to bring good news to the poor, release to the captive, sight to the blind, freedom to the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And how God is doing that work, not yesterday, not tomorrow, today. I ended my sermon last week. We come to this table for communion. We say, this is me. My broken mess of a life, my baggage and the expectations that I will never live up to. And as we bring that, Jesus says, this is my body given for you today. Now imagine if after an appropriate dramatic pause, I had continued. Now surely you will say, this is because I am such a faithful Christian. But I say to you, there were many Christians who fought to defend slavery during the Civil War, but God was not with them. And there were many pastors who called for patience and gradual change during the civil rights movements, but God was on the side of equality and radical transformation. That's the best parallel I could come up with for what Jesus did. After talking about release and freedom and good news, Jesus turns and touches on a shameful part of Israel's history to imply that God would side against them if their hearts were not in the right place. Jesus essentially says to the people of Nazareth, you are not special and your pride and sense of entitlement puts you at a greater risk of not receiving God's grace. So is it really all that surprising that they turned against him? If I were in a preaching class with Jesus, I might have offered some polite feedback along the lines of, I appreciate what you're trying to do there, Jesus. I wonder if it might have been more effective to be less upsetting. And Jesus probably would have replied with something like, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) But really, why couldn't Jesus just leave well enough alone? Why did he continue in a way that surely he knew would upset them? The gospel, as Jesus will continue to discover, and the apostles moving into the book of Acts will surely find out, has always solicited both positive and negative responses, strong ones. And I think this is quite simply because it speaks to our deepest truths and most firmly held beliefs. 
It speaks to the core of who we are as human beings and addresses all that is meaningful, important, and influential in our lives. And as such, it touches sensitive subjects, foundational beliefs, and inspires strong responses, both positive and negative. From Jesus' very first sermon here in Luke's gospel until today, the gospel has always done this. Only if we water it down, spiritualize it so it can be nicely contained in one corner of our lives or distort it to make it something universally palatable but less powerful, only then can we expect to always walk away from the word of God feeling some surface-level sort of good. My biceps still hurt this morning because this past week I lifted weights for the first time in like three years. Growth is rarely painless. It usually involves some breaking down prior to rebuilding. As a preacher, I am almost always aiming to convict as well as encourage Not because I'm an instigator, though maybe sometimes I am, but because that's what the gospel does. And so I believe that that's what preaching the gospel is. This convicting part is both uncomfortable and essential to the gospel's ability to transform lives, which again is what I believe the gospel is meant to do. Last week, I invited you to listen to Jesus' words. Good news to the poor. Release to the captive. Sight to the blind. Freedom to the oppressed. I invited you to think about yourselves, your own poverty, your own captivity, your own blindness, your own oppression. And to today, receive the freedom, the release, the good news that Jesus wants to offer you. To reach down into your depths and face that what is truly hurting you and holding you back. Because the gospel only transforms when our wounds are brought into the light so they can be healed. Only when we expose the very things that we long to hide can we accept that God's grace, love, and mercy applies even there. That's scary and uncomfortable, but so long as we are hiding, we will always wonder if we are only accepted because We are hiding. And so, in spite of the sensitivity, our pride, vanity, selfishness, greed, hurt, doubt, guilt, insecurity, and shame must be named, at least before God, 
Because only if the good news reaches down into our most shadowy and shameful depths can we receive its full power for healing. If, however, we are not prepared to face those realities, then we will likely, like those in Nazareth, reject such exposure, even lashing out against it. So what's a preacher supposed to do? Shy away from the challenging parts of Scripture and sacrifice their transformative power to avoid upsetting anyone? Or preach the gospel that has always and is intended to convict and transform us and inevitably, if history is any teacher, upset people. If there is some perfect balance, a, a way to do this, navigating all of the competing feelings, ideas, and experiences in any given congregation to convict them all without upsetting anyone, Jesus did not find it in Nazareth. I imagine after Jesus was safe again, he actually beat himself up. Pretty good thinking about those people in Nazareth. Wondering what he could have done different. Because it's painful to be rejected by people you care about. Even when you believe you're being faithful to the scriptures and your calling. Even when you're in the right, as I assume Jesus was. You can't help but think, what if I done this or not said that? Jesus was human. So I think he felt and grieved all that. This rejection by the people of his hometown. It's comforting to think of Jesus feeling all that because I know those feelings. I'm still relatively new at this pastor gig, but the sermons that upset people seem to stick with you painfully far more than the ones that people tell you are great. The difference is that while we can assume that Jesus got the message right, my sermons certainly have errors. Theological misconceptions, insensitive language, personal ignorance, etc., Whereas we assume that Jesus, knowing the heart of God and people, didn't. And still. Because if we aren't prepared to face the truth, it doesn't matter who's preaching or how good their sermon is. Yeah, that's still true, but also we make mistakes this is a case where I'm happy to speak for you as well. <laughs> yeah. 
You'll let me, yes, thanks. We do our best, but we're human. We pray. We put our good theological seminary education to use, and we do our research, and we write and edit and delete and rewrite, and we wrestle with Scripture. But I'm not sure getting it right is even the goal as much as inviting you to join us in the wrestling. I'll tell you the greatest compliments that I ever get as a preacher is when someone says, I've been thinking about what you said all week. So when we sit down to read our Bibles by ourselves or to listen to a sermon, we might ask ourselves, am I prepared to wrestle, to be challenged? That should be our expectation. Scripture is meant to do something to us, to change us in some way. It's comforting, but not always comfortable. The gospel is always good news, but that doesn't mean we will always perceive it as such. In general, I don't think most of us appreciate being challenged, convicted, or compelled to change. Nonetheless, Scripture does all of that. If we can trust Jesus, however, we can trust that the challenge of the gospel is never there to hurt but always to heal. Its intent is never to shame, but to grow. Even in Nazareth, they did not have hearts to hear what he was saying as good news. But Jesus was trying to release them from their captivity to self-righteousness and prejudice. In our confession of sins this morning, we confessed, we have rejected your word when it made us confront ourselves. Last week, I invited you to stand in the shoes of the congregation at Nazareth and to receive the good news, release, sight, and freedom that Jesus offered them. Now, the story has turned, and as the congregation as, uh, at Nazareth turns against Jesus, we might be inclined to disassociate with them. But I invite us to remain with them in their place as the congregation at Nazareth. Let us confess that we too are willing to throw Jesus and others over a cliff. Let us acknowledge that we, too, reject Jesus when he confronts us with truths we're not prepared to face. Let us consider how we do that.
wrestle with it. And then we'll be ready to receive the good news. You who just threw me off a cliff. Here, take your place at my table. Amen.